it's interesting. So, uh, so I went to school in the eighties um, and nineties, um, <laughs> uh, but but the eighties in particular was a time when Section Twenty Eight was was in force. Sort of being gaslighted by the government is is pretty major, right? So we, yeah. we didn't we didn't exist. <laughs> Welcome to Queer Coded. My name is Eli. I'm Emily. Um, if you've not joined us before, we are just chatting to some members of the North Coners community who are also part of the LGBTQIA community. Uh, just a nice fireside, relaxed chat about our experience into the world of tech. Today with us, we have Stephen. Stephen, would you like to tell us a bit about yourself, what you do here? Sure, Emily. I am a junior software engineer and mentor to the students at North Coders. Um, and I'm a career changer, actually. So I've been with North Coders for three months mm-hmm. um, after a very long career in hospitality and sometimes spent in finance. I am now a software developer. Fantastic. Um, what made you kind of like switch over to that? Great question. Um, so um, I think for a long time, I was unhappy mm-hmm. it, it, with, with work, with, with my career. Yeah. Um, and like many people um, living through the pandemic, um, reflected on where I was in life. Um <clears throat> And then, like many people also, um, got COVID, got COVID quite early on, uh, and then had long COVID. Um, So I think when you're doing a job that you're okay with and you're in good health, you kind of deal with it, right? It's fine. Um, When you wake up every day with brain fog, lethargy, um, aches, you know, no energy, um, and then try to do a job that you're only really okay with, it it becomes a lot harder. Um, So I'm kind of in a strange way, grateful for the COVID, for sort of forcing my hand a little bit and, yeah. and forcing me to make decisions about what I did next. Yeah. Um, but what specifically pushed you towards something like coding? Um, so so I literally Googled skill shortages in the UK. <laughs> and the first thing that came up was, was software developer. Yeah, amazing. Um, and sort of initially said, well, I can't do that. What do I know about software? Uh, what do I know about tech? Um, and then did a little bit more Googling and found North Coders and then still felt like it wasn't for me, felt like maybe I was a little bit too old. Um, you know, the, the, it would be difficult for me to pick it up and then explored it a little bit further and started to sort of dabble with free code camp and, and code academy and these sorts of things. Um, and then finally plucked up the courage to, to, you know, fill in the, fill in the form (laughs) and start the journey. Fantastic. Um, what was your kind of like first experience around tech because you're saying like it, it was quite quite um a late in life thing to do this for yourself yeah what was like your first experience of that kind of thing and what led you to it yeah i've made myself sound like a dinosaur there which, no, which, which, no. is, which is certainly <laughs> not true so i mean i mean for me really the journey would have started in the mid 80s um my first experience of tech was it was a, a sinclair zx spectrum playing 8-bit computer games and um you know it, we used to buy the magazines and they'd have They'd have type-in programs. So you would literally just sit and type in lines and lines and lines of code. Um, and a box would appear on the screen and it was a massive sense of achievement, right? So that, so that, that's sort of the 80s. And then nothing really. Went to uni, ended up in hospitality, did a few different jobs over the years. Um, around about, I would say, turn of the millennium. Dabbled a little bit with, with building websites just as a hobby sort of thing. And then again, nothing um, so it's not as if I'd, I had no experience whatsoever. There was something in there. There was some something that I was drawn to in that, um, which I suppose 
helped me make the leap a little bit when I finally convinced myself that it'd be a good idea. Yeah. And in terms of your sort of career path in general, what's the impact that you think that being LGBTQIA has had on that career path for you? It's interesting. So, uh, so I went to school in the eighties um, and nineties, um, <laughs> uh, but but the eighties in particular was a time when Section Twenty Eight was was in force, um, and you know, sort of being gaslighted by the government is is pretty major, right? So we, yeah. we didn't we didn't exist. Could um, I just interrupt you there? We just we might have some listeners who might not really know about Section Twenty Eight. Could you just really cool. um, expand a little bit for us? Um, so, so in a nutshell, it was illegal for for anybody to promote homosexuality, mm-hmm. um, to to talk about it, to acknowledge it in any way um, in, in schools. It, it it was it was just no go. It wasn't up for discussion. Um, so that's kind of the that's the environment I grew up in. So you spend a lot of time hiding who you are because that that's that's essentially how the system has, has brought you up um so you expend a lot of energy in life but also at work not being honest with people and not being honest with yourself um and that's a lot of energy that could be expended elsewhere i suppose um in terms of direct discrimination do i feel that i've experienced it probably not but working environments haven't always been pleasant because of some of the stuff you have to hear, some of the stuff that would be called banter. Yeah. Um, it's not always fun. Mm. How do you feel like your queer experience has changed from your different um, career paths? Like, how, how do you feel? How did you feel then? How did you feel now about it? I think um, I feel lucky where I work. Um, th- there's no doubt that North Code is, is the most inclusive environment I've, I've ever found myself in. Uh, you know, as, as far as work, as far as anything goes, really. Um, I, I worked for a corporate before I worked here and corporates are great, right? Because there is a lot of awareness of representation. You know, there are employee-led networks for everything. But it can sometimes feel a little bit tick boxy. Um, and although it reaches many parts of the organisation, it doesn't necessarily reach them all. Uh, at North Coders, I think the scale and the personal experience you have with other people and how open and honest people are really is something that I've not had before in my working life. And it's something that is helping me to grow as a person as well, because, you know, it's it's easy to be aware of issues, but not really feel like they impact you. But when you have friends and colleagues that have um, that become allies in a way that you become allies to, that that helps you grow and develop as a person. So so that's been something that's that's been really nice for me over the last few months yeah yeah I, I definitely understand that I, I used to work in retail and uh, like for, you know for a big big store and it was definitely like I, I came out while I was working there and everyone was very supportive minus one person <laughs> um <laughs> we shout no names but uh, she very quickly retired um anyway uh yeah it was definitely more kind of like I felt supported when I came out I felt like I wasn't going to lose my job I felt like the company was going to be on my side I didn't feel supported in the way that I do here. Mm-hmm. And it's a very hard thing to like pin down what the difference is. But I but I would say it's more kind of like it's it's like you're saying, like a bit of a checkbox. Um it's more that the company doesn't want to get sued. Yeah. As opposed to they actually care about and support these issues. Yeah, um absolutely. Yeah. I think um I've actually got quite a good um example of that. Um, of where I previously worked when I first told everyone 
um, about being trans. And I think at North Code is it's something where people actively ask you what your pronouns are. Mm. Whereas in that situation, I told someone my pronouns and they said, what's a pronoun? <laughs> I think that's that's really the difference. It's yeah. kind of living that that thing and and making that a priority versus mm. it being something that you have to do to make sure that you don't get sued by someone. Yeah, it's it's a kind of feeling of in other places having to justify your existence almost. Uh, whereas here, it's just accepted. Like the, there's no kind of like, oh, are you queer enough to act this way? Essentially, um, like. Are you, are you trans enough to transition fully? Are you going to be supported if you transition yeah. fully? Um, it was more just here. It's kind of like, cool, fab, amazing. Anything we can do to help. Um, and then everyone just kind of supports you. It's not just like, fab, all right, we'll leave now and let you get on with it. It's like everyone just kind of like pitches in and goes, what can we do to actually help you with this? Yeah. Is there anything where we can feel more uncom- more comfortable? Absolutely. And And, you know, it's no surprise that, diverse organizations that support their staff to be who they are are, are more successful it's it takes time and energy to to deal with discriminatory behavior and to call it out when you see it um and we should do that right we should um and we should do it in the best possible way um because that's how we grow and change and, and develop um but it's kind of nice to be in an environment where you don't feel that that's going to come up mm. yeah and that's how i feel yeah, that's a really good point um, in terms of sort of the wider tech industry, um, sort of sometimes we can feel like we're maybe in a in a bubble where we live or where we work or in our social media. But mm. in terms of sort of the wider tech industry, is there anything that you would like to see change, you know, in the foreseeable? I suppose I'm not overly qualified to say, right? I've, I've been in the industry for, for three months in North Coast, just three months doing the course, so really quite a short time. But what is overwhelmingly obvious is how male dominated the industry is um which i think is really unfortunate i understand why it's happened um but i feel like that's something that needs to change and change rapidly um north code is you know really really uh, are playing their part in that um but we're so far from where we need to be and ultimately women in code will make code better it's as simple as that yeah absolutely when you said and i don't want to feel like i'm pulling you out on this um i understand why it's male dominated what is your opinion on that like why why do you think it's male dominated at the moment what, what, what could we do to change that because um understanding and accepting are two different things but but you know um traditionally um the it goes back to school right it goes back to to um the way Subjects are taught at school. Um, so, um, you know, bo- boys tend to do those, you know, subjects like maths, subject, subjects like physics, the sort of subjects that then lead into sort of computer science uh, degrees. It, it, it starts very, very early on yeah. um, in these sort of gender-defined roles. Um, but, you know, this can change quite quickly. You can do a boot camp. You can come to North Coders and do a boot camp and 13 weeks later be a software developer. So we can forget about all of that, right? We can we can change this now. Yeah, absolutely. I think also, you know, coming back to what you were saying previously about Section 28 and the impact that the government has on our culture, you know, we can't ignore the sort of the impact that, that has had on those gender-defined paths and people taking those particular subjects because they are sort of encouraged to go into that if they are you know male or female 
identified. Yeah, definitely. Cool. So in terms of, um, we've spoken a little bit about the tech industry, in terms of the wider world, are there any changes that you think you would like to see, you know, further afield than the tech industry? Um, I mean, so many. Um, <laughs> tell us, tell <laughs> us all of them. I mean, I, I've seen a lot of change, right? We talk about Section 28 um, and now kids come out of school. Mm-hmm. That's, I, I wasn't able to imagine a world where that would happen. Yeah, um, You know, grow, growing up in the 80s. Um, a, a world where uh, queer people are so visible. Um, I didn't envisage that happening. Um, the change has been quick, right? Okay, yeah. you, you know, you, you look at... You look at um, look at civil rights movements and, and look at how things have moved on for for some queer people, not all queer people, but some queer people, and it's to do with visibility because there aren't many families that don't have well, there aren't any families. Let's face it, that don't have queer people in them. I think um, I've been really angry in the past. When I was younger, I was angry. Maybe some maybe at times confrontational. I don't think it achieves anything, um, and I'm concerned that we're in a world now that we've we've. We've achieved so much, but the world seems to be decamping mm-hmm. and the different sides seem to be incapable of, of speaking to each other. Um, I'm alarmed by things like no, you know, no platforming. I'm alarmed by people that close down speech because I think it's only through talking and understanding why somebody is homophobic, for example. Uh, only by having the conversation and, and letting them express their opinions can you start to challenge it and change it. I don't like it when I hear people say, you can't say that. People can say what they want. People can literally say what they want. It's just that now they might be challenged. And that's the way to change opinions in in my mind. That's absolutely different. I think that, you know, a a huge part of the thing of um, cancel culture is like um, the thing of sort of, you can say whatever you want to, but also you need to be prepared to face the challenges that people have to what you've said and take responsibility for that and be accountable for it um which i think is something that is kind of hasn't really happened very much in the past um and you know people are entitled to say what they want to but also they do have to be accountable for it i think that brings up a really interesting discussion because i I agree um like we we you know we do need to have these conversations and i I really don't like that term for some reason (laughs) it's it sounds a bit like um i don't know aggravating almost um but there's a difference between you know like someone maybe not understanding things about let's say like like trans people um and then there's a difference of someone else who has power saying and influencing other people into those kind of opinions yeah which you know it, it, who, who are you really going to um listen to more if, if you already have that kind of um attitude of believing someone who has more power than you it's very unlikely you're going to have the opportunity to talk to someone who is trans, is queer, um, and have your mind changed in that discussion. Um, so I think it's it's definitely not a case of just everyone say what you, what you want and we'll yeah. talk about it. I think everyone has to be open to talking about it. Um, I think that is a much is a much different um, issue, mm. um, which I also don't know how to solve. Well, I, don't, <laughs> I, I agree, but I think unfortunately the responsibility lies with the queer community. If I'm honest, um, you know, talking about people in power and talking about Section Twenty Eight, well, the whole government denied our existence, right? Um, and look at where we are now. Um, and I think 
maybe I'm a bit of an optimist. Maybe I just assume the best in people because generally, you know, people are decent. Most people are decent and want the best for their families. Um, and I kind of think that getting people to reflect on their own situations and demonstrating, I don't know, um, your own lived experience is, 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 the, is the way to win. Is, yeah. You know, win might not be the right word, but, um, you know, genuinely could be your son, your niece, your, your, your nephew, your, your brother, your sister. Yeah. Um, if we can all learn to walk in each other's shoes a little bit, and that kind of means us walking in the shoes of people that we find intolerant and trying to understand why they are like that. Mm. I think that's a really, a really fantastic point. Um, and I think the thing that I've found um, in terms of sort of visibility and speaking to people and um, changing hearts and minds, um, it does come down to visibility, as you said. And um I think a lot of intolerance is often just a lack of understanding and a lack of knowledge. And I think that my experience has always been that if I can talk to someone and have a conversation with them and they find me to be all right as a person, their mind will change about trans people, about queer people. But when it is just, you know, a Daily Mail article about an abstract concept of a person, it can be scary. And that is how people become um, quite reactionary against things because they don't have any experience of it and they're not able to fit that to anything that is applicable to them. Yeah, I, I yeah, I, I, I agree. It's it's a difficult task though. Um, it doesn't mean it shouldn't be done, but it's a difficult task. Hmm. Um, as, as so many of um, any civil rights movement has, has found, it only comes through sacrifice, unfortunately. Yeah, uh, yeah, totally. I I, I remember um, w- one of the first jobs I had in hospitality, going back a long time, um, and I was out at work. Pe- people knew, people knew that I was gay, um, but being on a night out in Sheffield and things getting a bit, a bit leery, and a group of lads sort of um, threatening me because they were aware that I was gay. A group of lads that, that were nothing to do with the workplace, and then. I just remember these really sort of like manly line chefs um, coming over to defend me because I was their gay, right? Yeah. <laughs> and kind of like, you've won the, mm. you, you, you've won them over, right? You've won them yeah. over just by being a decent person and, and just, you know, it's leading by, that sounds awful, it sounds corny, but but being an example mm. and, and sort of breaking down the... Breaking down the caricature that people might have about about gay people, about yeah. about queer people, about trans people, what whatever it is, um, putting a face and a personality and um, humanity that. Yeah, absolutely. I think also it's um, what you just said sort of really speaks to the thing that I've experienced a lot of times is that it's sometimes easier to look after your friends than it is to look after yourself. And the amount of times where I've kind of shied away from a situation because. I've been like, well, I don't need to defend myself in this situation. Whereas my friends who have been like, like, you know, really getting angry about a situation and I'm like, it doesn't matter. And actually, you know, it does matter. And you do, you should be having these conversations, but sometimes as a queer person, you know, as any minority, you are too tired in that situation to have that conversation. And I think that is why it is really important that we do all show up for our friends and our friends show up for us. Yeah, that that queer fatigue is a very real 
very difficult thing to deal with. Um, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Um, uh, well, thanks for joining us today, Stephen. Um, it's been really interesting. You've got some very unique perspectives, um, and I'm very happy we, we had a chance to talk to you about these kind of things. Great to talk. Thank you. Lovely stuff. Join us next time. <laughs>